Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. My name is Chuck, and it is really an honor to be the pastor here. This is an incredible group of people. Thank you for giving me that privilege. Folks ask me every week, what kind of church is Sugar Hill Church? And we really are. We're the kind of church that believes that the Bible, from Genesis to the maps at the end of the book, that it is a living, breathing word from God. That it is our direction, and it is his love letter to you and I. When you read that, then you can't help but recognize and understand that the second thing we are is we believe that Jesus is a very, the biggest deal. Because when we get him in the right priority in our life, all the rest of life will make so much more sense. And if you believe those two things, then the way we live that out is by serving people in need, both here and around the world. So thank you for being a part of Sugar Hill Church. I want to take a quick poll here to get started this morning. How many of you right now would say that there's something in your life or in your family's life that you truly need God to do something extraordinary? Can I see your hands? Yeah, hold them up high. Hold them up high. Very good. So that's most of the room, all right? But I, before I get to the next question... I want to make sure that we understand that when we talk about a miracle, we're talking about something. When we talk about something extraordinary, we're talking about something that clearly only God can do that would baffle human comprehension. And I hear this question a lot from people. They'll say, you know, back when the Bible was written and in those days, it seems like there were many, many miracles that happened. What happened? And the fact is that I believe miracles still happen And and I believe they happen even more frequently today. I just think somewhere along the line, we chose to start trying to find a way to explain them away. I'm confident that it took a miracle for you to get up this morning and go, there are about 40 miracles that had to happen in your body for you to do that. For you to pour your bowl of Wheaties, cut up the bananas, pour the almond milk on, and eat that and say you liked it took a miracle. For you to enjoy like two biscuits with sausage gravy, that may have been less of a miracle, and yet at the same time, you you ate it and loved it. I believe miracles happen day after day after day, and in our, our life, at our home, we are in a season where we truly need God to do something extraordinary. As a matter of fact, I've come to believe I spend more time in my life in desperate need for God to do something special than in the times when I'm perfectly contented. I bet that's true for many of you. Maybe you're here today and you've taken on the new role of being a caregiver to an aging parent. You need God to do something special. Maybe you're here today and you raised your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, but something went wrong and you don't know where they are, what's going on. Or you're here today and that company that you invested in for 20 years said, we don't need you anymore. Or your spouse of 27 years came in and said, I don't love you anymore. I think there are a lot of people in need of a miracle. As a matter of fact, I I would say that far more of us raised our hand that said we needed God to do something extraordinary than, than there were that didn't. And I think if we were to take away all of the church labels and all the, the weirdness we have about admitting in church that our life may not be all right, I, I'd be willing to say even more people would have said, yeah, that's me. But let's face it, when you come to church, there's, there's three or four different types of people. There's the person who comes and they're buttoned down and they got it all together and they kind of look like they got their junk together. 
On the other end of the, the, the thing, you got people who are just a mess. I mean, you can spot them a mile away, both sides, right? You, you, the person who's got it all together, you go, whoa, that guy, nah, he's got it together. Then you got on the other end of the spectrum, hey, that guy, he's, he's a disaster. And there's two more in the middle. And, and so there's one that, that, there's one group that's more like, you know what, I, I desperately need God, but I, I'm not sure where to find him. And then you've got a group that says, I desperately need God, but the fact is, I don't want to let people know that I need God. We've got all four in here, and we've got blends of all those different types. But what I've discovered about miracles is that I believe that miracles still happen. We, we have just got to stop explaining them away, trying to believe that with human comprehension, we can wrap our head around it. Uh, I heard just a second ago while, I, while we were in the middle of worship that uh, Claire White is here today. I don't know if you're in this room or not, Claire. I know you were in Tom's group earlier, but what I, what I do know is this. It wasn't just a few weeks ago that um, we, we were in, in Claire's home. And Tom, her, her group leader, myself, and Pastor Tripp, we gathered and anointed her with oil and played over, prayed over her as, the, as the, the book of James says. And a week later, the same thing with Hector Acevedo, both of them having surgery on their brains. And here Claire is. She took her first chemo treatment this week and doing, doing well. Hector about... Uh, about eight or ten days after brain surgery, he was playing the guitar in his worship band. I look at that and I think to myself, that sounds pretty stinking miraculous to me, doesn't you? Yeah. And I guess what I'd say to us is, but it's really no more or no less miraculous that you woke up this morning and God still loved you. It's no less or no greater miraculous than the fact that this afternoon you can do nothing to make God not love you. I find that miracles happen all the time. We, we just don't see God in the middle of them often. Which brings me to the text and the teaching for the day that's found in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. Feel free to look in the table of contents in, on the app or on your phone or your tablet or in a Bible Bible and uh, look for 2 Kings. We're going to be in seven verses in the fourth chapter. Now, a little background on this story is... Uh, there's a lady who's in desperate need. She's got a mess on her hands. And the only way she can get out of that mess is something divine has to happen. And about that time, a prophet of old age shows up and tells her, if you'll do this, God will do that. And it seems so neat and clean, but I think most people would be willing to say, if we took off all of our churchy labels, I think most of them would say, okay, that's great, Chuck. That was good. For then, this was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But what about today? What about Monday afternoon, July 12th, 2017? What about tomorrow afternoon? How does, it, how, how does that re relate to me? Well, let's take a look. 2 Kings chapter 4. Let's take a look at what the text says. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from the flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. 
Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now, sell the, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Now, that sounds like a bit of an obscure story that would have no connectivity to your life in 2017 until you put it into context. You've heard me say this before, that in the stories of Christ, in the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have to always put that story into the context in which it was written for us to understand the context in which we read it. And so the context in which it was written are like this. There was a man who had a wife and a couple of boys. When he died, he left them a pile of debt. This lady had no way of earning money because a female in that time had no way to go get a job outside of prostitution. And so she was stuck with this debt. And legally, the creditors that she owed could come and take her sons and sell her sons into slavery to help pay off her debt. Now, when you put that into perspective, I think we begin to see that she needs some type of divine work to happen in her life. But the first thing that we notice in the story is this. She, she, she begins to describe how bad the problem is. The problem is that I have two sons, I have this debt, I am a widow, I don't know what to do, I have nowhere to turn, and they're going to come take my boys, and they're going to sell them into slavery, and this is not acceptable. Now, to put it into context again, in the Old Testament, the way God chose to speak through his people, or to speak to his people, or to speak through his prophets. And Elisha, the man of God, is a prophet from God. Now we understand now in a New Testament age that God speaks to us directly. This is before he sends Jesus to earth and yet the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always been there from the time of creation. Hence we hear let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so the Spirit of God as we know it in the New Testament is different than what we know is the Spirit of God in the Old Testament because God is speaking through Elisha. That's why Elisha is described as a man of God. And so Elisha is here, and I want you to notice the first thing that begins to happen in the story. In the midst of her mess, she activates a faith system because a faith system was in place when she says, my husband feared the Lord. You see, her husband had activated a faith system in the middle of their family. When the scriptures refer to things like, husbands, you are to be the spiritual head of your home. They're not telling you the CEO of the home. You are not Lord of the home. You are not boss of the home. You are the spiritual leader of the home. And how do we understand the divine to direct the role as that role. Are you ready? As a servant, as a shepherd, willing to lay your life down for your family. That's what it costs you to lead your family. This isn't about you get to pick where you get to eat lunch every time. This isn't about who pays the bills. This is simply about you are to be seeking God. And as you seek God, the overflow of that allows us the privilege of leading our home. And when we don't do that, you've surrendered that right, guys. 
But clearly what has happened here is that a faith system has been put in place. We know because this, this lady who's in desperate need says, my husband loved the Lord. He feared the Lord. He was of the Lord. And so we activate this faith system. For many of us, if we're waiting on God to do something extraordinary in our life, the very first thing we have to do is figure out, how am I going to activate my faith system? Because when you look at the spectrum of people in this room, you've got folks who have zero faith system. They don't need to activate a faith system. They need to find a faith system. We got other folks in the room that have a faith system that offers no real help. And then we have some folks in this room who have a faith system that's alive and well. She knew when she was talking to the man of God, she had to activate her faith system. For something extraordinary to happen, it could not just happen in a void. It couldn't couldn't happen in in and apart. It, It had to happen in the midst of God. If we're in need of a miracle to happen in our life, one of the first things we have to do, we have to get in the midst of God. We have to be willing to let God, the Spirit of God, get in the midst of our family and do as he pleases. It's one thing to say, God, I need a new job. God, I need a spouse. God, I need to feel loved. God, I need more money. That's all wonderful. But what, if, what, what, what might happen if we were willing to let God get so involved in our life that he would say, this is how we're going to do it, and we surrender to it? that's a whole nother story. You see, the first thing they did is they activated a faith system that was in place. But watch this. There was also a desperate need. There was a desperate need in this lady's life. They're going to come take my boys away. I have nothing. They are my everything. How many of your parents? Okay, keep them up for a minute. How many of you would have sold your kids this week? Okay, right. So some of you are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? And those of you that are more spiritual than me are like, they're my babies. Well, just wait. They grow up. But you know, we wouldn't, I'd, I'd do anything. Sam and Abby are here today. I'd, I'd do anything for them. I, literally, I, I'd do anything for them. This lady had a desperate need. How desperate was it? So desperate that when the man of God looked at her and said, what can I do for you? She didn't even answer because he immediately went to the next question. By the way, let me just stop and say, if you're a follower of Christ, you're watching online or you're in this room today, when you know of or you see that there's a concern or a need out there, could I encourage you, don't be that person that says something as simple as, hey, I'm thinking about you. You see, thinking, while that may be a sweet phrase, isn't what somebody in desperate need needs. But I'll tell you, if you look at somebody and say, I want you to know I'm praying for you. How about if we stop right now and pray for you? And Elisha takes it to the next. He models for us what it is that you've got to have a willingness to help. Elisha understood that this lady needed something. What did he say? What can I do for you? And before she could even answer, what does he say? Well, what do you have? I mean, what do you have? He looked at this and he said, okay, wait a minute. This, clearly there's a faith system at place in this home. Clearly there's a desperate need. Clearly there, there is a willingness on my part as a man of God to help. And then he jumps in and says, before anything else can happen, he says, but what do you have? You know, I spend so much of my life wanting something I don't have. 
I forget how incredibly blessed I am with what I do have. But if we're looking for God to do an extraordinary work in our life, we have to first find ourselves the ability to be grateful for what we do have. You know what I have discovered? That when we look at, at all of these things, when I look and understand, okay, I need a faith system. If I, if I want God to do something, I've got to be able to cling to God. I've, I've got to be able to know that this is a desperate need, so I'm willing to cry out and ask for anything. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to surround myself with godly people. I'm willing to listen to God's voice. I'm willing to activate my faith and follow him. And we as followers of Christ have to be willing to offer to help. And one of the ways we start is to have a willingness to say, but wait a minute, what do you have that you can be grateful for? And then the interesting part of the story starts happening. There's a clear direction that's given. You see, Elisha looks at this lady who has this desperate need, who has a faith system in place. He looks at her and he says, I've got a willingness to try to help you. I need you to be grateful. What do you have? And she says, well, I've got, I've got this little jar that's got some oil in it. I've got some oil. That's what I've got. Notice that Elisha never says what else. She says, that's all I got, I got a little oil. I've got a little oil. Now, I know you know your Bible because all of you are Bible scholars and spend time each evening studying the Word. But every time that oil is used in Scripture, it is a picture of the Spirit of God. Every time we hear the teaching include oil in the Old or New Testament, it is a picture of the Spirit of God. Now remember, God the Father, Creator, God the Son, Savior, God the Holy Spirit, Keeper. And we look at that and say, I've, I've got a little bit of God. I got a little bit of the Spirit of God. That's all I've got left. That's all I have is just a little oil. And, and he, he looks at her and says, okay, here's the direction. Here's what we're going to do. I want you and your boys to start going around to all the neighborhood houses. And out in their backyard or front yard, there's this pile of crack pots. I want you to grab some of those pots, and I need you to bring them. Some of your Bibles refer to them as vessels. Others refer to them as jars. But it's a picture of something probably around this size. And he says, I want you to get a bunch of these. Not many, a lot, right? Get them, get a bunch of these. And then he only gives one requirement. He says, go get a bunch of these from all of your neighbors, but make sure when you bring them back, they're empty. Now you might say, well, you know, I, I need to make a trip to Pottery Barn for that. But in the day, it, was, it wasn't unusual for somebody's yard to have collected these single-use pots and tossed them into a pile. Hence, many of them were crackpots. Just look around the room. They still are. You see, if oil is the picture of the Spirit of God, the vessels and the jars are a picture of us. Are you with me? Now watch this. He says, get all these, all these jars. 
Get all of them. There's only one thing you got to do. Make sure they're empty. They can't be full of anything else. They got to be empty. And take all these jars, the big ones, and take your little jar of oil, go into your house, close the door, and start pouring. And when you fill the first one up, set it aside, pour it again. Now listen. There are a handful full of things in life I don't understand. But, but this much I know. That little jar of oil cannot fill that big jug. Could, could I get just one agreement on that one? Yeah, okay, now watch this. So he says to this lady who's in a desperate way, I need you to activate your faith to the degree that you're going to collect all of these pots. And then you take them inside with your boys and you take your little bit of oil and he says, you start pouring the oil. And you just keep pouring the oil. And when you fill up one, set it aside, put a new one down, and keep pouring the oil. And each time when you fill one of those crack pots up, set it to the side, fill the next one. I don't know what happened in that room, but let's try to imagine that happening in your house. All right, so stick with me. Let's just assume it's my house, and uh, our lingering daughters, Samantha and Abby, are, are, are there. And Jen comes in and says, hey, watch this, girls. The man of God said to take this little bit of oil, and let's just say they collected 20 of these. He said, take that little jar of oil, and fill up all of these because they're all empty. Now, I know Sam and Abby pretty well. I think they would look at Jen and think, Mom's been smoking the hymnal. <laughs> I mean, Abby would immediately start thinking, that's impossible. And Sam might be thinking, I'd rather have biscuits. <laughs> but Sam would look at it and say, okay, that, that, that's not going to work. Come on, that doesn't work. But now watch this. You know the, the buzzword today and all, all leadership guru people is like mindfulness. Be aware. Be in touch. Be the tree. This is a moment of spiritual mindfulness. Wait a minute. The Spirit of God represented in the oil, the empty vessels representing us. So mom starts pouring. And when the first jar gets full, the first vessel gets full, I imagine the, I imagine the younger son was like, whoa, mom, that's so stinking cool. Do it again. So the bigger son puts the pot down. Mom starts pouring, fills it up, and he's, whoa. Now that's cool, mom. Keep going. Let's say they get to jug number 18, still pouring. They get to number 19, still going. They get to number 20, still going. She fills them all up with oil out of that little jar. Now remember, the little jar is representative of what? The Spirit of God. The empty vessels are a picture of what? Me and you. And the man of God said, take that jar and keep filling those clay pots. And so she did. And then she said, bring me another one. And the boy said, that's all we got. Do you remember what happened immediately after that? The oil stopped flowing. It was over. The oil stopped. And I think about that and I think that direction that was given 
was honored and obeyed. The miracle that she needed may have started with a faith system, but inevitably she had to act on the direction that was given to her by God. Because the man of God who was speaking on behalf of God looked at her in desperate need and said, take that little bit of oil, fill all of those jars. Now watch this. At the end of the story, she's like, that was so cool. And then he says, take all those vessels, go to the market and sell them. And pay off your debt. And you and your boys live on the rest. You ever heard this phrase, how much is enough? You know, I've noticed that enough is a lot different in everybody's view. Some of you have made millions of dollars. And it's funny how we, how we always pick on wealthy people. Well, how much is enough? Well, if you've got a million, another million probably. If you've got 10 grand, probably another 10 grand. You know what I've discovered when enough is enough? How much is enough? Here's what's enough. When I can activate a faith system and change the trajectory of my life to follow the direction given by God, and I can see him actively working in my life, solving and directing and blessing in such a way that I can lay my head on the pillow and know, Lord, you cared for your child today. Thank you. That's enough. But he did more than that. He, he went past enough. He went to the fact that the debt is paid, the crisis is over, now live on the rest of it. You see, here's what happens. Obedience to the direction of the divine sets the tone for the miracle of the divine. You see, what happens is we're not willing to be obedient to God. How dare us hold God hostage to answer our prayer when he's saying to us, do this. Now watch this. God's not asking you to get all your junk together before he does a miracle. God's not asking you to stop cussing, stop drinking, stop chewing, and whatever else you got going on, right? He didn't ask you to do any of that. He simply said, I need you to obey me. You say, well, Chuck, I want to know how to do that. Well, how do I do that? Are you ready? This is how simple God made it. In our sinful nature, because we've all broken God's rules, we needed a way to be right with God. So God said, I'm going to send my son. His name is Jesus. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to live a sinless, perfect life. And he's going to surrender his life on an old rugged cross. And he's going to give his blood and his body is going to be broken to pay for the sins of mankind. All that you have done, all that you are doing, all that you're yet to do. He's going to be buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he's going to raise from the dead. He's going to push that stone away. And he's going to hang around for about 30 or 40 days. And then he's going to go sit by the Father in heaven. And he's going to create a home for all those who believe. And we all looked at that and said, okay, now that's pretty cool. But what does it mean to me? Well, if you need a miracle in your life, let, let it start with being obedient. Well, how do I do that? Jesus, I need you to come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Take over. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, shedding your blood and your body being broken for my sin. I want to I turn my life around. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Do you know what obedience sounds like? Just like that. You see, obedience to the direction of the divine 
always set the tone for the miracles of the divine. And what did God do? He met and exceeded that need. He met and exceeded that need. He brought this lady what she needed and cured the problem plus some. But how did that happen? It started with activating her faith system. It happened because a man of faith was willing to say, this is the direction. She and her boys were willing to be obedient. Now watch this. Her faith is like our faith. It is always rewarded with more than enough oil. Now you can say, well, Chuck, clearly that's not God's plan in my life because I got nothing. Okay, let's go back to the text. What do you have? Well, Chuck, all I've, all I've, all I've got is my family. Isn't that great? Well, I'll tell you, all I got left, Chuck, is that, that beat up old pickup truck and you know, I, my apartment. Isn't that awesome? Well, I'll tell you, Chuck, you don't understand. I, if I had what that guy had, I'd be set. No, you wouldn't. That's just not how it works. You see, there was no shortage of oil. There's no shortage on the Spirit of God. The only shortage is in empty vessels. There's no shortage of God. There's just a shortage of us being emptied so that he can fill us. Leave that up for a minute, guys. Are y'all psyching me out up there? There's no shortage of God. It's not as though God has got a limit. It's like, you know, it's, it's like catching striped bass. I mean, you, okay, you only have two over this limit. There's no limit on God. The only reason the oil stopped was that there became a shortage of empty vessels. So see, here's what I know about every person in here watching online right now. I know how much God is in you. You say, well, Chuck, that's a pretty good trick. There's no trick to it. There's as much God in you as you want. There is mu there's as much the Spirit of God directing your life as you want. Because there is never a shortage of oil. There's just always a shortage of empty pots. But you know what I've recognized? We need to know what to do. We are a people that don't like to research and seek, seek it out. We, we want somebody to tell us this is what we do. So this is one of the reasons God gave us the Bible. I, follow this pattern. So what is the pattern that we find in this story, and how would it relate to you going into this week? Are you ready? Number one, engage your faith. Activate your faith. If you don't have a faith, let's find a faith today. What does that sound like? Jesus, I need you. Come clean up my life. Thank you for dying for me, raising for me as a payment for my sin. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. Activate and engage your faith. Some of you guys have followed Jesus for 40 years, and you're still wondering, what do I do? Energize and engage your faith. Number two, be grateful for what you have. Did you know there's always going to be somebody who's got more stuff than you got? There's always going to be somebody that's got more money than you've got. There's always somebody their family's going to be more whacked out than yours is. Because at the end of the day, if we don't start with gratitude and end with gratitude, we're in trouble. Now's where the water hits the wheel. Are you ready? Obey the divine. If you're looking for a miracle, if you're looking for the abnormal to happen, if you're looking for something extraordinary to happen, this must happen. Obey. 
positively, instantly, give him every reason to take his hand off of it. Is that the desire you have, that you want to give God reason to take his hand off your life? Or do you want to give God every reason to put his hand on your life? Because, you see, he's letting you choose. I'm back. Which causes us then to act in agreement with our faith. You say, well, I don't get that, Chuck. How do I act in agreement with our faith? Now watch this. The very essence of faith says, my God can, therefore I'm going to trust his way from here to there. You know how many times a week somebody says to me, you know, Pastor, I sure wish I knew exactly what the Lord wanted me to do. How can I know whether I'm supposed to turn right or turn left? And you know what I'll usually say to them? So what do you think God wants you to do? And then the follow-up question, what, what do you think you ought to do? And then the third question, why aren't you doing that? You say, Chuck, you're really an astute counselor. <laughs> can I just tell you, it's usually not any harder than that. I think most of us know what God wants us to do. That's just not what we want to but if we're going to energize and activate our faith, if we're going to be grateful for what we have. If we're going to obey the divine, we have to act in agreement with that faith. Because, you see, maybe God's plan for your life is that you're never going to be the big dog in your company. You're never going to be a big shot in your community. Maybe God's plan for your life is that the greatest thing you can do with your life is you're going to be the greatest mom known to man. You're going to be the greatest dad ever born. You're going to be grandpa of the year. Or you're going to be that person that serves people in need. What if God's plan for your life is not in excess to what you think this world offers, but it is in excess of that oil still flowing, still filling, still taking you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And that's when we end and start with gratitude. So my friend, I guess what I'd say to you is this. How much is enough? If you're like me, you know what enough sounds like? God, I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. And I want to trust your best for me. I believe you sent your son for me. And I want to walk with him arm in arm. I don't want to get ahead of him. I don't want to get behind him. I want to be with him. I want to lean into him. I want to know what he's calling me to do. And I want to act on it. I, I don't... I don't want to stay empty. I want to be filled. But I want to be filled to the brim. And I want to give the Lord every reason to keep pouring more on me. Isn't that the desire of every man or every woman? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that in this day, you've spoken with great clarity to us about what it is to engage our faith to speak and to be openly grateful for what you've already given us. Lord, to obey you and to walk with you, to act in agreement with the faith that you have put into our hearts and our lives, and to be grateful at the beginning, to be grateful at the end, and trust you for a miracle, to trust you for the extraordinary. Lord, would you do that? Lord, for every person here that said, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Would you give them the courage with heads bowed and eyes closed just to slip their hand up so I can see who they are?
gratitude into every heart. Lord, I'm grateful for folks who said yes to you today. Lord, we are grateful for you. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.